Would you join me this morning out of reverence for the word as we stand? Would you join me in reading the passage at hand? Uh, Maybe you know it from a different translation, so you might want to read it from here, or you can also turn your hand out and read it from the back. But can we as a congregation this morning read the old 100th, familiarize ourselves with this text as we look at it this morning, starting with verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his course with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generation. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. I want to encourage you, if you have not done so already, would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 100. But today we're going to take some time to just meditate, as I said, on Psalm 100, a very familiar passage. In fact, I was, I was thrilled the other day. We went to a little kindergarten program with my daughter, Eva, the other day. And uh, this whole kindergarten class quoted this psalm. And I loved it. Even through the, through the, different, the, through the program, the different songs they were singing, the verses they were quoting, uh, tears were coming to my wife's eyes and even mine. Thanking God for the scriptures that these little souls are singing and proclaiming. Very clearly, Jesus says, quoting from Psalm 8, out of the mouth of infants and youths, praise is perfected. I love that. So uh, I'm thankful for this Psalm 100, a psalm we've heard since we were younger, a a psalm now we get to go back to this morning and kind of think through some of the aspects. I hope you see it in a fresh light this morning, but I hope you also see it as a reminder of things you've already learned of in the past. So we generally like to start on a lighter side, and I had a video to show you this morning, but it was just eating up way too much time. So I'm going to just kind of talk of it instead. Um, This general recognition, if we can just be completely transparent here for a couple minutes, Maybe we don't want to be completely transparent, but mostly transparent here for a couple minutes in regard to what happens in your life on Sunday morning when you get up, and especially those with children here, you give them sustenance, make sure they're not running out of the house completely unclothed, and get in that car and turn that key. What happens? I mean, sometimes, and, and it's not every Sunday, but occasionally uh, when we travel together, I feel like when I turn that key, it's almost sending a signal to, all, to some sort of de- demon beacon somewhere <laughs> that it's time they're going to church. All hell break loose on that vehicle. Have you ever been there? I mean, you're, you're smiling at each other. You're ready. We're going to church. And you get in that car, and, and all of a sudden, it's like these little demons are jumping around outside your car, on your car, in your car. They know you're going to church. 
the words said, the looks given, all of this happening. And in your mind, you're thinking, no, this cannot be happening. Why? We're going to worship Jesus. I mean, on a scale of one to 10, uh, rate even your trip here today. I will tell you, today was a rather successful trip to church. Happens sometimes. Um, actually, I thank God for my children. We, we actually, Hannah comes earlier to practice music, and then I get the privilege of coming with a couple others. So we had some really good discussions today on the way to church. However, some Sundays are not always that way. On a scale of one to ten, all right, one being those demons jumping around all over your vehicle, ten being you feel like you have just floated into the church parking lot on a cloud with the angels playing their golden harps. How would you rate often your trips to church? Um, you may or not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but sometimes I feel like it's all out spiritual warfare. All out spiritual warfare for our hearts as we prepare to come worship with the body of Christ. I was thinking on that this week as I was reading through Psalm 100, the preparation, and now thinking on it in more of a historic, maybe more of a serious note. If you would think with me on what happened 2,000 years ago. These, these families didn't get in their car and turn the ignition key, right? There was some massive preparation that was happening to go to the feasts. One of three primary feasts, they would travel from all of Israel to go to these feasts. There were seven basic feasts, but three of them were pilgrimage feasts. They would pack up their families, and not everyone could make them, but on occasion, you would try to obey God and try to get there with your family. So in our minds, I want to think this morning, kind of paint a picture, because my imagination goes sometimes, as weird as it may be. I want you to look at this map, all right? Think about you and your family. You're placed somewhere on this map. We don't know exactly what the routes were. There's all kinds of ideas of what these routes might have been in the first century uh, AD and BC even, as, as people would come to Jerusalem to worship, but I want to put ourselves in some shoes of families today. One family in the historic tribe of Naphtali traveling from Tiberias. Anybody know where Tiberias is? Wow, that thing's cool. All right, right up here on the Sea of Galilee. It's your time to travel. You're going to the feast, you're excited. This family travels, as some would, might say and speculate, they would go along the central route, but as some good Jews would do, they would try to avoid Samaria. We know this story in the book of John as Jesus travels through this area with his disciples and talks to the woman at the well. But some would do what they could to avoid it, and they would travel along the Jordan River Valley until they got to a place called Jericho, and then they'd take the Jericho Road, and as you're traveling the Jericho Road, you're constantly sharing these psalms of ascent with your family, preparing you for worship. We've talked of this already when we talked of Psalm 127. You're preparing yourself for worship. Verbally, in song, in quoting, you're trying to prepare yourself. Maybe it doesn't always happen. But you enter into Jerusalem area and you can just tell this aura, this, this sense of what's happening there in this big city. Okay, so that's one family. Picture with me another family from the historic tribe of Manasseh. And they're up here in this little seacoast town, it's not so little, Dor. I'm just painting a picture here. Right on the Mediterranean Sea, they take this 
coastal route and head right down here. Maybe they even pop into here, the place called Ramah, and now they are entering into Jerusalem at the same time. You're traveling, we'll say for the case of the story here, you're traveling down to the Feast of the Tabernacles. You're ready to go celebrate with these people, your friends, your family members. You will find these booths. You will find places to stay all the way through Jerusalem. Well, somehow your paths cross possibly in a place like this. You're coming up and all of a sudden you see the temple. Second temple period was magnificent. You're looking at this And you're looking at people around you who've traveled from all around Israel coming to worship Yahweh. You're coming to praise God. You might see it from there. You might see it from another place. This would be from the Mount of Olives. If you're standing there looking down into the Temple Mount and you're excited to go worship. Well, picture with me these two families. One of them from the tribe of Manasseh, one from the tribe of Naphtali, one from Dor, one from Tiberias, and they come, and they meet each other, and one family, for case of the story, one family just looked like they went through the battle. We're talking about like a week of travel, and they're like pulling up. The kids are excited because their dad's been forcing them to say the Psalms of Ascent. (laughs) Again, Dad. We've already done that 30 times, just like you're on a road trip and you have to sing that same song again. We have to listen to dad's playlist again, right? They're being dragged and they're looking. All of a sudden, there's a bit of an excitement about them because they see this, the Temple Mount. Well, then you find this other family and they happen to like run into each other as they enter into the one eight gates, one of the eight gates around uh, the old city. They're about to step in there, maybe a half mile away, quarter mile away, they run into this other family, and this other family is stoked out of their sandals. They've been traveling the entire week as well. They've been saying the songs of ascent. But something about this family is so excited to do what they're about to do right now. They are about to go worship Yahweh. And one of the families The guy that looks like he went through a battle with his family the whole time, he comes up next to this other family member, this dad, and he says, friend, what did you do? (laughs) What's the difference? Your kids are excited to be here. What is going on? And this one dad, he says, friend, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I do know that over the last year, God has laid on our hearts a passage. It's in the scriptures. It's in your scriptures, brother. Friend, it's in the scriptures right at the tail end of the King Psalms, where we praise the king. Right at the end, there's a climax, and here's what it says. This climax of all of the King Psalms says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Friend, I don't know what God's doing, but we've been quoting this all month long as we've been preparing. All year long we've been thinking of this. This passage says this. Know that the Lord, that Yahweh, he is Elohim. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pastures. It says this, friend. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. 
For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I can't explain, friend, what God's doing, but I do know he's using this text to transform my family's life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the same opportunity this morning. We're interacting with a text that for maybe two and a half millennia has been used, that God has used through his spirit to encourage people as they prepare to worship. As they prepare their hearts to receive instruction and to wholeheartedly praise the God of Israel. On this Thanksgiving weekend, we celebrate here in America. Not everyone, obviously, in the world celebrates Thanksgiving. We are privileged to encourage ourselves with the psalm, that this psalm, Psalm 100, the old hundredth, as they call it, that has encouraged hundreds of thousands of worshipers of Yahweh for nearly three millennia. And today, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the opportunity to study it. This psalm that so often we quote and just rattle it off, maybe around the Thanksgiving table you might say it as a family, this psalm that you maybe learned as a youngster, maybe you learned it later on in your life, maybe it has been so accustomed to your memory that you, it loses its bite. You know what, that, what I mean by that? It loses its effect. My prayer today is that we get a fresh look at this passage. We see this passage and realize that this passage God has used to transform the lives of families, transform individuals and families to enter into God's presence, prepared to worship. As I already mentioned, this psalm, the old hundredth, as it's known also as the Jubilate Deo, is set as the grand finale. It's like the benediction. You know, at the end of every service, we try to have a verse that's read. This is our benediction verse, setting us out. This essentially is the benediction of what's known as the King Psalms. I love at the end of a fireworks show because what happens at the end of a fireworks show? You all know that thing that you, everybody pulls out their camera and takes 20 pictures that you know you'll delete the next week for space, right? They all look the same, but it's when you just got to cover your ears because it's all going. You're just smiles on your face and everybody's like, woo! This is the grand finale of the King Psalm, Psalm 100. This is the benediction. This is the climax. This psalm right here, as we look at Psalms 95 to 99, and actually tag on to it 93, 93, 95, all the way to 99, is leading us in our thoughts of how amazing God is in his sovereign rule and reign over all creation. And now we have a response in Psalm 100. What is the response? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. This psalm is clearly emphasizing the need to be prepared to worship the king. This is not something we just snap and we're ready to go. This psalm is clearly celebrating the universal nature of Yahweh's rule, authority, and sovereignty. This psalm is clearly designed, I love the poetry of the psalms, this psalm is clearly designed to be sung. Actually, we just sang several songs, didn't we? And every one of those slides, guess what's on every one of those slides? It's a different stanza, all right? Some long stanzas get split into a couple different elements. We did some hymns this morning, and you could, they were split up. 
Well, this psalm was designed very clearly with stanzas to be sung. This song, this psalm is clearly compelling its readers or its singers to respond. Here's a couple words. With life-altering gratitude. This psalm is clearly a psalm of thanksgiving. So today I want us to look at these two brief points. Let's just take this familiar psalm and let's look at these points. First one is this we'll look at. Thanksgiving is to flow from a life of constant adoration. Kind of give a precursor to what we're going to look at in this point. Here it is. Sometimes in our minds we think that that, that, that thanksgiving essentially is something that we can check off. Do you get that way or is it just me? (laughs) Sometimes when I go to my prayer time, it's like I pray and I'm like, I know I'm supposed to, as, as Paul says in Philippians 4, to, to share my anxieties with thanksgiving. So it's like, okay, thank you, God, for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for this. Now you got to hear me. Check, check, check. I thanked God. So let's go to this passage. We find very clearly that thanksgiving is not just an event. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle. Then the next point we're going to look at as we close out this morning will be this. Thanksgiving is to be grounded in a confident assurance this is an education factor. As worshipers of Yahweh were studying the scriptures, they'd come to this passage and it, and it compelled a response to them. But even in the midst of this response that's being compelled, there was education about God. This is so key for us because we can't just share out thanksgiving and praise to a God we do not know. What is this passage doing? It's reminding us exactly of who the God is we serve. So let's take a couple minutes now and let's walk through this, starting with this one. Thanksgiving is to flow from a life of constant adoration. Starting with a life that joyfully proclaims. We have now different descriptions of this life, this whole life thanksgiving. Not just something that happens as an occasion or an event. And we want to be very clear about that. Thanksgiving in the scriptures is not meant to be put in a checkbox, next to a checkbox. This is something that has consumed everything we do. And I really think that comes alive in this passage, starting with this phrase. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the lands. What is this saying? It's saying, shout it. Shout. That noise in some of your translations might actually say the word shout. How many of your translations say the word shout in it? Make a joyful shout. To the Lord. It actually has ties in, in the Old Testament to like a blast of a horn. You're shouting it out. You're proclaiming it. What does that say? When you proclaim something like this, it's basically saying, I'm not ashamed of this at all. There's not an ounce of shame in me to proclaim what I'm about to proclaim right now. And what does the psalmist say here, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all the lands. All right, the best way I can think of in my mind to illustrate this is there's something that happens uh, most weekends over 5,000 miles from here in England. All right, my son David, who's up in CPK right now, we enjoy watching, it's called the EPL, the English Premier League Soccer. Some in here I've already talked to, uh, we're best friends because we already cheer for the same squad. Other of us all, there's this tension between us because you're like Chelsea fans. But at any rate, 
my son and I will watch these. Some don't even care about soccer. That's okay. It's really fine. But we, we watch this English Premier League soccer, and it's happening over there. And I'm going to tell you, even though it's 5,000 miles away, when my team, the best team, Liverpool, puts a goal in in the last five minutes, which they've been doing regularly. Somehow they're staying alive on the, on the top of the table. When they put a goal in like they did yesterday against Crystal Palace, what are my son and I doing? Oh boy, you better not be trying to sleep in in our home. We're yelling and screaming and cheering as if they could hear us from the TV. This has happened 5,000 miles away. They can't hear us. But my son David and I, were compelled to cheer. I'm going to tell you, we are 5,000 miles plus from, uh, from Israel. We're not entering into the gates of Jerusalem and the Mount Zion to praise. But I'm going to tell you, in Redding, California, we can shout it out. We can shout out that there's a good God. Here's a God that's redeemed our souls, that loves us. This is the God of the scriptures. This is the God that, that David, the, the psalmist here, we don't know exactly who it is. He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. This is the God that before he even says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, he says, shout it out. Proclaim it boldly. And what's the qualifier here? What's the extent? All the earth. There's no one exempt from this. Our goal is as a universal choir, Anywhere, everywhere, with anyone and everyone, we shout out, God. We shout out that there's a good God. This is a whole life of thanksgiving, okay? So this is where we're getting with this point, is it's not just an occasional come to church, check, I was thankful. I said my three thanksgivings for the day, I'm good. And at thanksgiving time, I even made a list of ten. That's not where we go with thanksgiving. It is every day of our lives proclaiming, and a life of thanksgiving is one that unashamedly shouts out victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to another aspect of this life. It's not only a life of joyfully, that, joyfully that joyfully proclaims, it is a life that gladly serves. And you know this passage. What does the passage say? Serve the Lord with gladness. This whole life of gratitude is one that not only proclaims and shouts out how good God is, not in an obnoxious way, but in a very discerning way of confidence and victory. This is also a life that with smile on face and compelling attitude serves God. This is right in line with what we've been talking about in Philippians, is it not? serving the God that created us and sustains us. The psalmist here says very simply, serve the Lord with gladness. The word serve is one of those words that's like put labor into it. Work hard. Don't take it easy. Again, my son David and I, two days ago, were stacking this firewood. So thankful to God for providing some firewood. A blessing from several in the church, but particularly one man sitting right over there, dropped off a bunch of firewood for us that we're excited about, and it was getting dark, and David and I were like, man, we want to eat some dinner. What do we got to do? Man, let's put some elbow grease into this. Let's get this done. Let's put some labor into it, and we kept going till after dark. We solicited the help of Eva. (laughs) That was a blast. How many times she about got nailed in the head with a log? 
Selah came home from school. Guess who was helping us stack wood? It was a family thing. We were working hard at getting this, 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 this wood stacked before the rain came. Well, maybe the snow if you've looked at your map. Did you see that? Okay, that's a farce, right? At any rate, what was happening? We were putting labor into this. It was work. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters in Jesus, a whole life of thanksgiving is one that puts labor into the work of Yahweh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how is this work done? What's the qualifier in this imperative? Do it with gladness. This is where we tell our face we're saved. This is where our attitude expresses that we're children of the King. Here's the simple point. Biblical thanksgiving is not to show up occasionally on an isolated moment of gratitude, especially not simply on Thanksgiving Day. It should happen then, but it should happen every day. Rather, this thanksgiving is to flow from a life that is glad to labor for the King. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we labor for the King. Here's another phrase describing this whole life worship, this whole life thanksgiving. Here it is. Come into his presence with singing. I know what you're saying right now. <laughs> oh dear. I could go with the shout part, but the singing part, oh. Because you know the, pers- the person you're sitting around by right now. <laughs> when you come to worship on Sunday morning, it's just a struggle. I've seen several of you turn your hearing aids down, right? Because you're like, I can't stand next to that person again on this Sunday morning. I would rather just go with the shout rather than the sing part. But brothers and sisters in Christ, this singing is in here. We sing. We sing to the Lord. If you go to chapter 96, remember how I said it's tying in all of these chapters, the 100th? If you go to chapter 96, verse 1, it says this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. This is a song that he's changed our lives. And because he's changed our lives, we have something new to sing about. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Not everybody's as skilled as others. Not everyone's as pretty of a singer as the person sitting in front of you or behind you. But guess what? All of us sing to the Lord. Chase must be mad that I'm talking about singing right now. Just joking, brother. (laughs) Until the day I die, I'll remember uh, in college, I had a couple very close friends um, athlete friends, both of them pastors right now, and we had a great time together. Um, I will tell you, one of them could sing like an angel, the other, not so much. This guy, who is one of my uh, greatest sharpeners in my life, iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens counsel, uh, the countenance of his friend. This guy sharpened my life and, and drew me to the Lord in so many ways, and we encouraged each other in the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, this guy couldn't sing. He would, he didn't, he tried though. He would stand there and sing as loud as he could and single-handedly he could disrupt the entire congregation or small group study wherever you were at. And you know what my response was? It's okay, brother. Shout it to the Lord. Sing with all you got. You're obeying the scriptures. To this day, he will sing. He's definitely not the worship leader in the church. 
but he will sing with all he's got for his Lord. Brothers and sisters, this whole life of gratitude to the Lord, even if it's just in the shower in your car, guess what? At some point, it's going to come out in a song, a song of praise to the Lord. Have you ever been around those people that can't help, but everywhere they go, they're singing songs to their Savior. It's a new song. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what we're compelled to do. Let the song come from our heart. Our mission statement as a church, our philosophy of music, which we've been talking a lot about, it says this, our desire and prayer and goal for the music at Cross Point Community Church is that it would be, and there's four things, biblically established and theologically rich, that's number one. Two, reverentially driven, this is compelling worship. Three, skillfully presented. Four, corporately embraced. What does that mean? Our goal is that the entire congregation would at some point sing. It's not about just the instruments playing and us watching. It's about all of us singing out to the Lord. And when you look at a group like this, you know, there even some of the songs we sang today. Some of you were like, yeah, I know those songs because we sang them a long time ago. Others like, I don't know that song because it was sang new, it was written new. Here's our goal, that you can find two or three songs in a set that you can say, yes, I can sing those. And when you identify those, you sing it. Sing with all you have. Well, enough about that. Let's go on to the next point he, that we find in this passage, a life of whole heart, whole life thanksgiving is this. Number four, thanksgiving is to flow from a life that obediently worships. So we come in this passage to the title of the sermon, Enter into His Gates with Thanksgiving. This is one of three imperatives in one verse in this passage. So this is an important verse. In this entire chapter, you have seven imperatives, three of them in one verse. What is this saying? It's compelling obedience and worship. What's the passage say? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We're not going to dig too deeply into these, but enough to say when he says enter his gates with thanksgiving, this word enter says come in. Come in. Be part of it. Come into his gates. Clearly, this is what's talking about worship. And I did quite a bit of reading this week on this. That yes, we're talking about the Temple Mount and entering into the gates and then even further into the courts. But beyond that, it is a compelling uh, exhortation for anyone everywhere who comes into worship with God. What are we to do? Into our, enter into our worship with thanksgiving and praise. Our hearts overwhelmed with gratitude. Thanksgiving is a clear confession of gratitude. Praise is a clear anthem of adoration. Um, it's almost like this. You see in the old movies or whatever, and you hear of old cultural settings where someone would come into the presence of a sovereign, and what would they bear with them? Gifts. Gifts to be heard. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we go through scriptures, even at the tail end of Hebrews, you find this. Through the scriptures, you find that we bear gifts when we come into the presence of the king. And what are the gifts we bear? Praise and thanksgiving. They're sacrifices we have to God. Our gratitude. Not only, as you look at this passage, is thanksgiving to flow from a life of constant adoration, but there's, an, there's another point to be seen here. As we walk through this, we see that thanksgiving is to be grounded. This is not just an aimless gratitude. 
this is a very grounded gratitude in who God is. So we can close out this sermon, the next 10, 15 minutes, reminding ourselves of the God that we are privileged to serve. And that's exactly what this psalmist does. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Well, what do we praise God for? How do we thank God? These are the details. In this stanza formation of this passage, we find very clearly in verse 3 and 5, the descriptions of our God. When you go through, you know, and, and you look at the different words in this passage, there is a central imperative. And what is the central imperative? It is this, no. No. Not N-O, but K-N-O-W. No. Be assured of this fact. And all of this gratitude we have, we are to ground this gratitude in truths about who God is and what he has done for us. And that is in this passage right here. Thanksgiving is to be grounded in a confident assurance. What is this? It is not blind gratitude. It's not uneducated gratitude in regard to the object. It is embracing a God that wants to be known. He's revealed himself to us. This is a God that's blessed us with revelation about himself. Thanksgiving is to be grounded in a life of constant assurance, grounded in constant assurance. And what is the first statement of assurance in this passage? Let's just go through them. Here's the assurance. God is God. How many times in a given week do I need to remind myself of this? Andrew, God is God and you are not. In essence, what happens when we cannot rejoice in a situation? Have you ever thought about this? When you cannot bring gratitude to the table, when you cannot be thankful for what God's doing, essentially, what are we saying through our lives when we cannot rejoice in a situation? Sadly, in my own life, when I cannot rejoice in what God's doing in my life, you know what I'm saying to God? God, I have a plan, and it's better than yours. Where does the psalmist go in regard to the grounding for our, for our thanksgiving? Remember, God is God. I love that. If we want to have a theme maybe for, my, for our lives in the year 2020 to kind of focus in the 2020 thing, what about this theme? God is God and I am not. When I look at this passage, how is it said? Know that the Lord, He is God. What is this? There's different ways of describing, defining God through his very names. In this one phrase, know that the Lord, and actually uh, that Lord there in our translations would be all caps. Why? Because this is the proper name for God known as Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the covenant-keeping name of our God. He is faithful to do what he said. And what does the psalmist say? Know that the Lord, Jehovah, or Yahweh, know that he is God. That word God, the second one there, God, know that he is God is the word Elohim. Okay, if you want to think of a difference between these two names and description, think of the word Lord as if a covenant-keeping God who's wrapping his arms around you. He's got you. If you want to look at the last one there, God, this is the name for God, the name Elohim, which is basically, if you want to think of it in terms of a, a metaphor, think of it as God's flexing his arms, 
This is the word used for God's might. He's strong. And what is the psalmist saying here? Know that the covenant-keeping God of Israel, he's the one that's got you. He is God. You know what we have to be thankful for, brothers and sisters in Christ? Especially of those who have come into relationship with God through the new covenant. Jesus Christ has established this. He's got us. He won't let us go. The covenant-keeping God of Israel is the same one that's keeping the new covenant with us right now. That we are his. He has indwelled us with his Holy Spirit and he will never let us go. Elohim, the strong one, this is the one that will not let us go. And the psalmist here says, no, be assured of beyond a shadow of a doubt that Yahweh is Elohim, that the covenant-keeping God is strong enough to keep you. If we continue on in the passage Here's another phrase, and I'll probably go a little quicker through some of these. God is my creator. What are we to thank God for? Even this week, this whole life of gratitude, here's the thought. Thank God that he made me. (laughs) He created me. What's the passage say? It is he who made us, and we are his. Some of your translations might even say, it is he who made us, and not we ourselves. That's what I grew up memorizing. Same point. He's the one who sovereignly stepped into, before even the foundation of the world, he he knew you, he established you, he had a plan for you, he created you. What do we have to be thankful for? Here's what we have to be thankful for, that God created me, and I am his. What's the beauty of creation, brothers and sisters in Christ? The beauty of creation and acknowledging a sovereign God is this, that he owns us. If you created something, you own it. By the way, what is, what is the reason, the primary reason a lot of people try to explain away a creating God? It's because they don't want to acknowledge the fact that he owns them. They don't want to acknowledge the fact that he is supreme in their lives and he is sovereign over them because he created them. What do we have to be thankful for? The psalmist clearly tells us God is God and God is creator. Let's go on to another expression here, another evidence. God is God. God is my creator. God is my shepherd. Something to thank God for this week, brothers and sisters in Christ, is he's our shepherd. He's got us. We talked of Psalm 23 a couple months back. Psalm 23, a theme is this. He's got you. He has you. This shepherd has his people. And actually, I love the details of, of the the psalms i love the details of the poetry the central word in all of this hymn all of this song is the word people we are his people he has us we have a relationship with the great creator and sustainer of all life he is our shepherd The point is this, the grounding of our gratitude, this whole life gratitude is the fact that he's our shepherd. And brothers and sisters in Christ, even when it doesn't seem like it, he's got us. He's in control. Let's go into another evidence here. Uh, Something else to praise God for, thank God for, that he is good. If we travel down to verse 5, you know these verses. This is a reminder of something we've known Uh, and spoken of often. Here's the verse. Know that the Lord is God. He is good. For the Lord is good. Yahweh is the source and sustainer of all good. 
key acknowledgement here in regard to his goodness is this. Even, he is good even when it doesn't seem to be good to me. That's the rub in the life of followers of God, followers of Jesus, worshipers of God. God is always good even when it doesn't seem like it to me. The rub in our lives and the whole world is the struggle with defining what is good. Is that really good? That trial in my life, how can that be good? The point is we must ground our gratitude in the fact that God is always good, even when it doesn't seem like it to us. God is painting on a canvas that is so massive. And what's our temptation? So often to get engaged into one brushstroke and to look at the one brushstroke and think, that doesn't make sense. But when we back up, what do we see? A beautiful picture of what he's painting on the canvas of our lives. Even when that little brushstroke makes no sense and it kind of looks like it's interrupting the whole thing, that thing that you just want to fix, you can't go to bed because that brushstroke is so ugly. It's just painful to look at. To step back and to see that he's painting on a canvas of your entire life and at the end of your life, it all makes sense. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what's going to happen when we get to heaven? I believe every day of eternity, God the Father through Jesus Christ is going to show us how our lives make sense. More and more and more. We're going to find ways that we can worship him because he made that work. He ordained that trouble in our lives for a purpose. And all of that canvas is for one purpose. And what is that purpose? For his eternal glory. So the challenge today when it, in regard to thanksgiving is thank God for that brush stroke, even if it doesn't make sense. Thank God for that trouble, even though it hurts a bit. God is good. Here's another one. God is loving. And this is what grounds that goodness, I believe. We find here in verse 5, his steadfast love endures forever. The psalm, psalmist uses here one of the most profound words in the Old Testament. You've probably heard of this word. It's the word hesed. This hesed is his steadfast love. And even in some of our translations, it'll be translated several different ways. Steadfast love, mercy, faithfulness, kindness. That one word his steadfast love. And what does he say about this steadfast love? It's just not a one and done type thing. It's not just a show up occasionally type thing. It endures forever. What do we have to be thankful for this week? What do we have to be thankful for in our entire lives? It's that the God of all creation looks down on his new creations in amazing love. His steadfast love, brothers and sisters in Christ, endures forever. Let's go on to the last one that we find here. God is faithful. His faithfulness is to all generations. The psalmist uses a word here that can also be translated faithfulness uh, or truth. It carries the idea of steadfastness. Um, and actually, I, I memorized it growing up as the word truth. The concept here, though, is he's working without shaking hands. He's steady. He won't, he won't be shaking all over the place when he's got you. That's the concept here. 
His truth endures for all generations. God doesn't have a plan that we have to guess whether it's going to really happen because he's so shaky in doing it. No, his hands are steady. He's got it. His truth endures to all generation. His, he is a faithful God to all generations. What he started, he will finish. In fact, doesn't this remind you of what we looked at in the book of Philippians? Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete that work in the day of the Lord. This is the God that we have the privilege to thank, to worship. Um, if we wrap this down, I'm going to wrap this up here. Down to a, a key idea. If we summarize this chapter, and I've been really thinking and praying through this this week, how would I summarize this chapter? And I think it would have to do with these two primary points that we looked at. Grounded gratitude entire lives. These four words have been going on in my mind this week. Grounded gratitude. Do I have a grounded gratitude? And does this grounded gratitude impact everything I do? So I kind of use this with a bit of you know, humor this morning, talking of coming to the church. Or even with, historically, people coming into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. But the fact of the matter, the thanksgiving that's compelled in this passage is one that is to reach our entire lives. It is to be a grounded gratitude that reaches our entire lives. So if we were to fill in the blanks of this statement, it would be something like this. As prepared worshipers of God, we are to participate in grounded gratitude that saturates our entire lives. Can we take that home this week? Can we live this? There's a couple so what questions. We don't want to leave here just dangling this thought in our minds. Let's think practically. How are we going to live differently when we walk out of these doors? Here's a question I would ask myself, and I have been asking. Is my life saturated with thanksgiving? Not just an attempt, not just an occasion, not just when I show up on the church property, but proclaiming, singing, serving, obediently worshiping, seeing this gratitude take over every area of my life all of who I am, acknowledging all of who he is, not simply events of gratitude, but a life of gratitude. Brothers and sisters in Christ at Cross Point Community Church, can we pray that God's grace will be seen in all areas of our lives because we're grateful in all areas of our life? This will take a choice. Think about this. This week, is my life saturated with gratitude? It's going to take a choice this week. It's going to take a choice to thank God when the storms of life blow in. It is going to take a choice when adverse waves of relationship seem to roll right over the top of you. It's going to take a choice when the ground shakes and you're not expecting it at school or at the job or in your home. It's going to take a choice to be grateful and to trust the God who's painting on a bigger canvas than we can see. Here's another question. Is my thanksgiving grounded in God? What is your thanksgiving grounded in? Is it grounded in what you see? Is it grounded in what you feel? Is it grounded in how emotional you feel 
that day and passion that you feel about the Lord, or is it grounded in who he says he is and what he says he is doing? Not a shallow gratitude based on my emotions or feelings, but a deep, growing, thriving gratitude based on the immovable person and work of the great creator and sustainer of all life. Not a blind gratitude, but a gratitude that truly acknowledges that God is good, God is creator, God is my shepherd, God is good, God is loving, God is gracious, God is faithful, and God is steadfast.